Thank you for joining us today on the Annex Podcast, hosted and presented by the Building Christian Fellowship. At the building, we build our faith, hope, and love in Jesus by having a real, relevant relationship with Him. And what better way for us to get closer to God than to learn more about Him through His Word? We pray you enjoy this message. Good evening, good evening, good evening. Welcome to Tuesday night, Rightly Dividing the Word, here at the Building Christian Fellowship Bible Study. It's is good to hear you guys in the house, see you guys in the house. Those of you guys that uh, haven't, haven't, um, weren't able to make it out tonight, hopefully you guys are tuned in um, over the airwaves on Facebook Live and uh, YouTube. So uh, thanks for joining us tonight. Uh, of course, you know, this is the night that the real deal saints come out and uh, dig deep into the scriptures. And uh, before we do that tonight, I just want to go ahead and open up in a word of prayer, if that's all right with you. Amen. Amen. Let's do it. Heavenly Father, we thank you for another opportunity to come into your house tonight, Lord. We thank you for for meeting us here, Lord, being faithful uh, to reveal yourself to us through through the scriptures tonight, Father, as we dig deep into the text tonight, Father, that we dive deep in, Lord, that you would just uh, give us a greater understanding of who you are, what your will is for our lives, Lord. Lord, Help us to completely understand and and gain a grasp of your plan for us, Lord. Lord, we just ask that you would just continue uh, continue to have your way in us and through us by your spirit. We thank you for the sacrifice of your son, Jesus Christ, We thank you that while we were yet enemies, that you commended your love toward us, that you reconciled us to yourselves through his sacrifice. We thank you for uh, not leaving us here uh, as orphans, leaving us here ill-equipped, but you have given us the comforter through your Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for being our teacher, teaching us and guiding us into all truth. Um, We just ask that you would open our eyes tonight, that you would open our hearts, open our ears to hear to, to, to understand and to believe and trust uh, the word of God uh, greater than we did before we walked into this place. Lord, we just ask that you would just be glorified through this study tonight and that your body would be edified. We thank you for this and we ask for this in the mighty, magnificent name of Jesus, we pray. Amen? Amen. Amen. So I'm going to start things off a little bit different. We are indeed uh, continuing on our, our journey through the book of John. Um, but tonight, I want to start off, I know it's not in the notes, but I was just compelled um, to, to do this. We're going we're gonna to go to Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53. And I know for those of you guys that are, that are uh, out there in the internet, tuned in, you guys don't have these notes on your screen, but um, prayerfully, you're not just taking our word for it. You're, you're digging through your own Bibles and um, being a good Berean and seeing if these things are so. And so we're going to Isaiah chapter 53, and I just want to read the chapter real quick. It's only 12 verses, and it's going to go real quick. And it says this. It says, Who has believed our report? And to who has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, as a root out of, out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness. And when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. 
Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who will declare his generation? For he was cut. He was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people, he was stricken. And they made his grave with the wicked, but the rich at his death, but with the rich at his death, because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put on him the grief of us all. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify men, for he shall bear the iniquities, bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bore the sin of many and made intercession for transgressors. Amen. Now, I know you may be wondering, like, what does that have to do with John? What I'm trying to get you guys to understand is what we've been doing this whole time as we've been journeying through the book of John is that we are seeing the fulfillment of prophecy. We are seeing the fulfillment of prophecy. I don't know how many hundreds of, of years prior to Jesus coming in the flesh that, that Isaiah prophesied what it is that we just read, but... What we're about to see, what you guys went over last week with Pat, or the week prior um, with, with Pastor Erica um, in John 18, where we're seeing that Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane and he's betrayed. And, and the Sanhedrin, the, the, the temple priests and, and all the, the, the religious leaders came and apprehend Jesus to go and take him to be tried so they can fulfill this conspiracy to, to, to see him... Uh, executed. And so what, what I'm trying to get us to understand and see here is that um, I've been very adamant about the fact that, that scripture interprets scripture. Okay. These are things that we need to consider when we are studying that, that scripture interprets scripture, meaning that you don't need an outside text to, to get you to understand what it is, right? Scripture interprets scripture. And so uh, in essence, what's been happening is we've been seeing the fulfillment of prophecy during this, this, these, these last uh, several months that we've been going through the, the book of John. And so in John 18, uh, Pastor Erica left off with Jesus' betrayal. He went to the Garden of Gethsemane to go pray. He asked his disciples, his beloved, trusted disciples, to, to pray with him and, and to stand watch with him. And Jesus takes a quick break in his prayer, and he goes to check on them. These dudes are sleeping, Right? And uh, how many of us have found ourselves like that? Like we, 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 
we like to, to, to pride ourselves on being dedicated, but sometimes we just ain't got the strength. Sometimes we, we, ain't, we, ain't, we ain't arrived there where Jesus is, and we, and we fall short. And yet Jesus still, still being gracious in the midst of his despair and, and probably one of the most uh, difficult times in his life, here it is. He's just like, I got to go it alone. And so fast forward, uh, Judas, who was one of the 12, went and betrayed Jesus. Uh, the sign was a kiss. And, uh, you know, that was pretty much a, a wrap from that point on as far as Judas was concerned. And uh, Jesus is now in the custody of the Sanhedrin. And so the Sanhedrin um, has brought Jesus before uh, several rulers. Like they brought him through the chain of command pretty much in their community. And basically it's like they, they, it's, it, it's, it's seeming like they have to go through a lot of hoops in order to, to see this conspiracy, what they're, what they're conspiring to do. Uh, come to fruition. And so here it is, they find themselves uh, at Pilate's, uh, Pilate's um, residence um, because he's the governor. So he's, they're, they're basically at the governor's mansion, so to speak. Pilate is their governor um, because they, they are under Roman rulership. And so here it is, they're figuring, well, since we technically can't carry this out ourselves, we're going to see if we can get our Roman officials to go ahead and do our dirty work and get rid of Jesus. Amen? So, here it is in John chapter 19. We're seeing the fulfillment of prophecy. And basically, let me give you a little bit of background about Pilate, who is the governor. As you guys know, I've made several references uh, throughout this journey, of, uh, journey with John of politics. Like, that was what the Jews were all about. They were like, man, we hate being under Roman rulership. Uh, we're being oppressed. We're being, you know, there's, there's hev heavy taxation without representation. We're constantly being, uh, uh, there's so much injustice that we're experiencing. Right? Sound familiar? Sound, sound kind of like the United States, right? <laughs> but nonetheless... They're under Roman rulership. They're not happy with the government, and they've been believing the prophecy that the Messiah will come. And they're believing that the Messiah is going to deliver them in the natural sense. And we see that Jesus went about doing good. He did many miracles. He, he, he taught different than the way that, that they were used to being taught. And they're seeing, actually seeing what they only heard in word actually come alive when it's coming out of the mouth and the hands of Jesus, right? And so here it is. They're like, oh, he has to be the Messiah. We need to make him our ruler so we can go ahead and overgrow, over, overthrow the government and we can make him our king. And Jesus would have none of it because he wasn't here for politics. He was here for something greater. So here it is. We find Pilate, who is basically, he's a politician. He's a governor. And what he's really doing in essence, if you guys paid attention to, to chapter 18, Jesus and him are having a dilogue because he's like, why are you here? Like Pilate's already irritated at the fact that you're getting me wrapped up in Jewish matters. I don't care about you guys. You guys are my subjects. I don't care about you guys. So why, why are you bringing this stuff to me? Why, why do I have to deal with this? Pilate is, is, is 
he's in between decisions. He's indecisive. And so he wants to play politics because he's trying to figure out how is this going to best benefit me once this is all said and done. So he's attempting to avoid the issue and he's asking Jesus, you know, is what they're saying about you true? And basically, Jesus is, is, is doing what he does best. He's throwing it back in his lap. And he's like, um, well, like, basically, it kind of depends upon what you think is true, which, what you think truth is. Like, I'm, you know, as far as I, I only say, only speak what is true and what's, what's divine. And Pilate responds to him like, well, what is truth? And Jesus responds to him in such a way where he says, he said, when, when Pilate asks him, are you a king? And Jesus responds to him, well, are you asking me that because you want to know personally or is it because that's what they told you? See, one of the things that we have to understand and, and we, we can take a note from Jesus is that us as believers, those of us who bear his name, when we go out in our interactions, there's going to be, be times where questions arise to us where we have to be ready to give an answer for the hope that we have, but we also have to use the wisdom and the discernment to find out what is the motive behind the question that's being asked. Because sometimes people want to ask questions just to argue, right? They want to lure you into a debate. They, want to, they, 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 they don't really care about the truth, right? And so here it is. Jesus is asking him, like, are you, are you asking me this because this is coming from you or is this because you heard, heard it through the grapevine? And so Pilate is like, man, what, well, what is the truth? What you have to understand is that with him being a governor, this is not the only time that people come to him with a, a personal agenda, right? So you got to imagine that there's other conspiracies that are going on in this, this, this ecosystem of like kingdom stuff that, that's, that's happening, like this Game of Thrones kind of thing that's going on. And all these people are plotting to try and get ahead and, and make the, and move all these pawn pieces and stuff like that, playing chess. And he has to kind of decide how things are going to go because he's in a place of authority. And so here it is. He's, he's, he's with the truth, questioning the truth as to what is the truth. But yet he's trying to avoid the issue that's at hand. And the whole ordeal is a nuisance to him because it's a Jewish matter. And the very idea that someone would aim his whole life at revealing the truth, because this is what Jesus came to do. Jesus came to be the way, the truth, and the life. He came to do what the Father sent him to do. And so for him, Pilate is asking the question about what is the truth, not because he wants an answer as to what the truth is or that he even cares about what the truth of the matter is. He's asking him this because... Yeah, I hear people coming with their truth all the time. Sound familiar? Everybody's on my truth today, right? It's my truth. Nobody cares about what the truth is. And so he's like, it, it's absurd to him to, to comprehend the fact that there's an individual who would claim not only that he's speaking the truth, but that he is the truth and completely dedicate his life because right now his life is in the balance. Jesus' life is in the balance. Pilate can say, yeah, we're going to go ahead and execute you. Or he can say, you know what? I don't find anything wrong with this dude. I'm going to let him go. Pilate has the power to do this. And so he thinks that it's foolish that someone would dedicate themselves to the truth in such a way. Jesus had done nothing worthy of punishment 
according to Roman law, he had done nothing, but yet they still wanted, the, wanted them to release Barabbas. This is where we were at in John 18. They, they wanted him, they wanted them, wanted Pilate to release Barabbas, who was a proven enemy of Rome. And this goes to show you that we all know the story is that Barabbas was released. Jesus was, Jesus was taken in, right? Barabbas was a proven enemy of Rome. He was actually in custody because he was part of a conspiracy to overthrow Rome violently and it led to bloodshed. But yet here it is, we see Pilate, who's Mr. Indecisive, and he's fallen into what Proverbs calls the trap of fear of men. The fear of man brings a snare. Now he's found himself with his back against the wall because now he's released Barabbas and Barabbas is a proven enemy of Rome. And this evidently would show that he was under the pressure of the Jewish mob and it encouraged him to make a bad decision. And so we're seeing uh, that Isaiah is being uh, fulfilled right now. So here we are, we're picking up in John chapter 19, starting with verse one. It says, then Pilate had Jesus flogged with a lead-tipped whip. The soldiers wove a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and they put a purple robe on him. Hail, king of the Jews, they mocked as they slapped him across the face. Pilate went outside again and said to the people, I'm going to bring him out to you now, but understand clearly that I find him not guilty. Then Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, and Pilate said, look. Here is the man. Uh, if you could put up on the screen, I want you guys to kind of see what this crown of thorns look like. The, the, the history would tell us that the crown of thorns was woven out of uh, palm date branches. And if you can see the picture of what those thorns look like. Thorns as wide as your hand, right? The fact that, that, that that's what the thorns look like, like, makes me wonder, like, who, what are you doing with your life that you have time to, like, weave something like that together, right? Like, that's, that's just, like, just ridiculously absurd that you would take time to weave, a, weave that into a crown. But yet, this is, this is most likely what the material looked like that Jesus' crown of thorns was that he wore on his head. Again, he was, he was bruised. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities, right? <sighs> Pilate called the Jewish leaders to behold the man. The, 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 the term that he used was eche omo, which, which he's like, basically, behold this king of yours that you guys were so threatened by. Because here it is, by this time, Jesus is beaten, bloody, bruised, battered, and shattered with this crown of thorns and this robe upon him, nearly almost unrecognizable, that he presents them to the people that have brought him to him. And they're saying, behold the man. This is, the who, this is who you brought here that was such a threat to you. This is, this is the, the, the this, I want you to behold the poor, this poor, wretched specimen before your eyes that you regard as a rival king. Verse 6. When they saw him, the leading priests and temple guards began shouting, crucify him, crucify him. 
Take him yourselves and crucify him, Pilate said. I find him not guilty. The Jewish leaders replied, by, your, by our law, he ought to die because he called himself the son of God. When Pilate heard this, he was more frightened than ever. He took Jesus back into the headquarters again and asked him, where are you from? But Jesus gave no answer. Why don't you talk to me, Pilate demanded. Don't you realize that I have the power to release you or crucify you? Then Jesus said, you would have no power over me at all unless it were given to you from above. So the one who handed me over to you has the greater sin. Pilate was afraid. One of the things that you have to understand about Roman culture is, is, is heavily tied into like what Greek culture is and Greek mythology. Like they believed in like God, human beings and stuff like that. So he's kind of in his own superstitious way. Like when he heard that they were like, they said this man claimed to be the son of God. He's like, what? So surely he didn't want to, he didn't want to offend any unknown God that he, you know, so he kind of superstitiously again, but he's still in between two decisions, right? Because he's obviously saying to Jesus that I have the power to release you. I have the power to crucify you. Like I'm still in between. I'm still undecided here, guy. You know, you got to throw me a bone here. Let me know what's, and, and Jesus is like, look, whatever, so it is what it is. The only authority that you have is given from you, given you from above. So don't worry about it. Just get on with your business. Do, do, do what you must. And the thing that we're seeing in, in, the, in the dialogue that's, that's taking place is that Pilate does not understand the distinction between Jesus's kingdom and his own that Jesus was making when he's talking to him. He did understand that Jesus was claiming to have a kingdom, though. Because Jesus told him, my kingdom is not of this, of this world. He said, if it was, then my people would be fighting for me. The main reason Jesus had come into the world was to bear witness to the truth. By this, he meant that he came to reveal the father. Jesus made subjects for his kingdom. Like every king, every king has subjects, right? Every kingdom has subjects. So Jesus made subjects for his kingdom by revealing the Father, by calling on people to believe on him, and by giving them eternal life. This prepared them to participate in his kingdom. Everyone who truly wanted the truth followed Jesus because he is the truth. He was, he is, and always will be the truth. The truth is not subject, it's not subjective, it's not a thing, it's a person, and that's Jesus Christ. Amen? Jesus' words were an invitation for Pilate to listen to him and to learn the truth. A lot, of us, a lot of us aren't even catching this, that as the dialogue is going on between Jesus and Pilate during this whole time, even in the midst of getting beat, even in the midst of, of wrongful accusation, that Jesus is still giving Pilate an opportunity to be ministered to. He's given him an opportunity to have the truth revealed to him. So throughout this trial, Jesus showed more interest in appealing to Pilate than in defending himself. This desire for the welfare of others marks all of Jesus' encounters throughout scriptures. 
He was always more concerned. Like, we, we know this because why? He's, he's the one that said it. I, the, the, the son of man came to serve and not to be served. So it's, it's only right that as a servant, he's looking out for the well-being of others. Amen? Verse 12. Then Pilate tried to release him, but the Jewish leader shouted, If you release this man, you are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who declares himself a king is a rebel against Caesar. It kind of sounds like another politician I heard make an accusation that you ain't. But anyhow, verse 13. When they said this, when they said this Pilate brought Jesus out to them again. Then Pilate sat down on the judgment seat on the platform that is called the stone pavement, which is in Hebrew, Gabbatha. It was now about noon on that day of the preparation for the Passover. And Pilate said to the people, look, here is your king. Away with him, they yelled. Away with him, crucify him. What, crucify your king, Pilate asked? We have no king but Caesar, the leading priest shouted back. Then turned Jesus over to them to be crucified. What we're seeing here is that the Jewish hierarchy had accused Jesus of blasphemy. That, that's how this whole thing started, remember? He claimed that they were mad because Jesus said that he was the son of God and he made himself equal with God. He was saying that if you, they were like, show us the father. He's like, well, if you've seen the son, you've seen the father. And they were like, blasphemy, right? They wanted to stone him, but it wasn't his time yet, right? Because it's, it's interesting to find out that that they're on Pilate's doorstep because they're claiming that we can't, our law per, does not permit us to carry out his execution. But yet they quick to stone people, right? Right? They quick to stone people, but yet they're like, we can't carry this out. And so here it is. They're also saying that, that Jesus is a blasphemer, and that's what his crime is. But yet here it is in their dialogue with Pilate, they're saying, we have no king but Caesar. So the Jewish hierarchy accused Jesus of blasphemy, but now these men were guilty of blasphemy themselves by claiming that they had no other king but Caesar. From the human standpoint, the trial of Jesus was the greatest crime and tragedy in history. From the divine point, it was the fulfillment of prophecy and the accomplishment of the will of God. The fact that God had planned all of this did not absolve the participants of their responsibility. You following this? So they took Jesus away. Verse 17, carrying the cross by himself, he went to the place called the place of the skull. In Hebrew, Golgotha. There they him to the cross. Two others were crucified with him, one on either side with Jesus between them. And Pilate posted a sign on the cross that read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. The place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. And the sign was written in Hebrew, Latin, and Greek so that many people could read. Then the leading priests objected and said to Pilate, change it from the king of the Jews to he said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate replied, no, what I have written, 
I have written. It's interesting to see how much prophecy is being fulfilled and how oblivious the individuals that are fulfilling it are of it. Pilate is like, like I said, we, we understand that Pilate is irritated, right? He sees the Jews as a nuisance. He's like, y'all done bothered me with this stuff. Like, you came to me early in the morning because by the time Jesus has been interrogated, beaten and flogged, and by the time he's getting ready to, he's heading up the hill, it's already been noon. It's, it's, it's noon by now. So this has all been taking place during the early, early hours of the morning. And Pilate's fed up. Like, y'all done took up half my day with all this stuff. And I told you I didn't find the dude guilty, but you still pressing the issue. So all in just before, before lunchtime, you've already brought this dude to me that I found, I found innocent. You've had me beat him just to try and satisfy and appease you. And I've also released the known enemy of Rome. Worst day of his life. And here it is. He done wrote a sign for him <laughs> as, be, as, as a petty gesture. He writes a sign for him and says, behold, the king of the Jews. Pilate's placard was a petty gesture toward the Jews. Ironically, what Pilate let stand was the exact truth. He had unwittingly become God's herald of his redemptive purpose. How you could be so close to, to salvation, but yet so far, right? Right? Verse 23, when the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they divided his clothes among the four of them. They also took his robe, but it was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said, rather than tearing it apart, let's throw dice for it. This fulfilled the scripture that says they divided my garments among them themselves and threw dice for my clothing. So that is what they did. Again, scripture interprets scripture, right? The horrors and shame of crucifixion are difficult for people who have grown up hearing pleas against cruel and unusual punishment. We live in that day and age, right? Where, where, where everything's cruel and unusual punishment, right? Uh, you know, some of the tactics that they use in, in, in you know, in war, uh, some of the things that they that that they use, like that, like it's almost like people can't be effective at what they do because it's cruel and unusual, right? <laughs> Back then, crucifixion was was the most cruel and and unusual death that you could die. It was it was a deliberate it was deliberately long and painful form of death that humiliated the sufferer as well as tortured them. Its purpose was to discourage others from rebelling against Rome. That's how serious they was about what we say goes. The main reason for crucifixion was to basically inflict fear and keep people in obedience. John's original readers, readers would have been only too familiar, familiar with it, which probably accounts for his lack of elaboration. Because I know we're going through the crucifixion, and it seems like the way he just explained it was just so brief. But when you read the other Gospels, it goes deeper into detail. But he's, he's aiming at something here because he wants to be 
sweet and efficient with it. Okay? So, crucifixion was so brutal that no Roman citizen could be crucified without the sanction of the emperor. So it was, it was, so, it was such a heinous form of death that they wouldn't even allow their own citizens to experience it unless it was like a super duper special circumstance. Okay? So usually the person who was crucified, they were stripped naked and beaten to pulpy weakness. The victim could hang in the hot sun for hours and sometimes even days. To breathe, it was necessary to push up with the legs and pull with the arms to keep the chest cavity open and functioning. Terrible muscle spasms racked the entire body, but since, collapse, since uh, collapsing meant asphyxiation, the strain went on and on. So that means as the, as the person is hanging on the cross, that they're constantly wrestling with, with being choked to death. So they have to kind of push themselves up so they can, they can open up their chest enough to try and catch breath for a minute and go back down. It's almost like, I don't know, not, not even comparable, but the closest you probably ever experienced it, those of you that are swimmers, is jumping up and down out of the water. Like seal training, right? You go down, touch the bottom, come up, just to get enough breath and go back down. But you're on a cross, nailed to it. This is also why the sedecula, which is a piece of wood that you see that's like almost like a mini platform that goes right up underneath the feet so that way they could press up, press their body weight up off of it. Um, and the piece of wood, it, yeah, the piece of wood served as a small seat. In some cases, it prolonged life and agony. It partially supported the body's weight and therefore encouraged the victim to fight on. Crucifixion was probably the most diabolical form of death ever invented. The fact that we see in here that it mentions that Jesus was stripped of his clothes. I know for, for the sake of, of, I guess, I don't know, PCism in modern church, we always see the, 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 the portrait of Jesus on the cross and he's wearing like a loincloth, like he was stripped naked. And the fact that Jesus died naked was part of the shame which he bore for our sins. At the same time, he is the last Adam who provides clothes of righteousness for sinners. The first Adam sinned and was naked. The last Adam died and was naked to clothe us. Are you guys following this? Like, I mean, really go back to the Genesis encounter when man's fall came about, when man deliberately disobeyed God and sinned and found himself naked, that God was the one who provided them clothes. This is where we, this is where we, see, this is where we see the first animal slaughtered to cover man. They were covered in animal skin. Whereas they had tried to cover themselves with fig leaves. They tried to cover themselves with something from the same system of what caused them to fall. 
Like we know figs are fruit. They ate fruit that made them fall, right? And they tried to use something that, that is a part of the same system to cover themselves, and it was insufficient. It wasn't right, and it took God in order to give them the covering that was acceptable to him. And here it is. We see that man sinned and was naked and uncovered. Jesus died, was naked and uncovered, so that way we would be covered in righteousness. He became sin so that we, we could become righteous. He became sin so that way he, he exchanged our sin for his righteousness, that we might be clothed. That's why we see scriptures that talk about us being clothed with righteousness. Amen? Verse 25. Standing near the cross were Jesus' mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother standing there, beside the disciple he loved, he said to her, Dear woman, here is your son. And he said to the disciple, Here is your mother. And from then on, this disciple took her into his home. Jesus knew that his mission was now finished. And to fulfill scripture, he said, I am thirsty. A jar of sour wine was sitting there. So they soaked a sponge in it, a branch, and held it up to his lips. When Jesus had tasted it, he said, it is finished. Then he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Fun fact, the hyssop branch is another hint in the prophecy that Jesus was the Lamb of God. How do I know this? Because the Jews used the hyssop branch in the process of sprinkling blood over the doorpost for the Passover. The irony of the living water who, is satis who satisfies eternal thirst has now become thirsty. I know there's, there's many arguments people have like, you know, because well, we just read that Jesus tasted the wine and then, and then he, he, he called that it was finished. Many people will, will refute the fact that he, he, he partook of the wine, but something that you have to understand is his thirst was proof of his humanity. Something that went around during this time, what you have to understand is that though we're reading about the, the crucifixion, the passion of Christ, the crucifixion account, that this is written many years after that, okay? And so there's been many things that, that uh, many rumors that have started circulating regarding the whole account of Jesus and his life. You guys know how it is. Like something happens with somebody or a celebrity or a certain person, not, sometimes not even a celebrity, it could be a family member. Something happened like, you know, they was in a car accident. Next thing you know, they was dead. Next thing you know, oh, no, nah, I seen them, seen them resurrected and they went to the store. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's, it's, it, like the story goes on and it, and it takes on all kinds of, it, it, like it, it develops legs and walks and then it's running and, you know, and, and, and then it grows wings and it's flying. So what we have to understand is that as John is writing this and the reason why he's writing like this is because he talks about Jesus being thirsty and actually having taken, taken a, a, a taste of the wine to wet his palate. 
again, what you have to take into consideration, the human experience. Because many people tried to deny empty tomb is, is, is hard to argue against. An empty tomb is hard to argue against. So it would, it would only be right that in a mythological sense, you would say, oh, he wasn't really a human. He wasn't really a human. He was just pretend. He made it seem like he died. Right? Like some of y'all that like some of y'all are, are are like praying and hoping that Iron Man is gonna come back. Right? You guys, you guys like devastated that man, I love you 3,000, man. And you and you hoping he's gonna come back. But the thing is, is that Jesus wasn't pretending. Jesus was fully God and fully man. And here it is, John is laying it out. And he's illustrating this for us. He's like, nah, man, he was up there and he's dying this death. That's asphyxiation. So what you have to understand with asphyxiation and this long agonizing death and these crazy breath that he, that breaths that he's taking, he's also dehydrating at the same time. Which also you have to understand is that him being the word and him completely, mind you, follow this, Jesus all the way through his death only does what the father tells him to do and says what the Father tells him to say. And as Jesus is on the cross, he's still having dialogue. He's still carrying out a mission. He's not just up there just dying. But he's still, he's, he's actively working until the life leaves him. And so the significance of the wine is the fact that he had to wet his palate being in the human form, having the human experience that his mouth was so dry that he probably couldn't even have the moisture to even utter anything out of his mouth. So that's why it's in there and it's accounted for. So this whole experience is pointing to his humanity. Verse 31. It was the day of preparation and the Jewish leaders didn't want the bodies hanging there next day, the next day, which was the Sabbath. And a very special Sabbath because it was Passover week. So they asked Pilate to hasten their deaths by ordering that their legs be broken. Then their bodies could be taken down. Mind you, we, we, we've, been, we've been focusing on Jesus, but yeah, there's two other cats there that are up on the cross with him, right? Two other guys. So they're saying, man, look, we don't want these bodies hanging here because we got our religious rituals and traditions going on, and we don't want this to rain on our, our parade. So we need them to be taken down. Something that you also have to understand is that in the prophecy of the Old Testament of this, this, this actual account, it's written in Scripture that cursed is any man that hangs on a tree. That's why Jesus became sin. Sin is a curse. Jesus became the curse so we could be free from it. Right. So the Jewish belief was that if they these bodies stayed hung up as a curse, that their whole their whole festival and their celebration that they were supposed to keep, according to law, was going to be cursed as well. So they were like, we need to hurry up this process, get it done. Mind you, we said that crucifixion could last anywhere from hours to days. But here it is. We see that Jesus has already taken the sip. So he could say his last words, said it is finished, and he gave up the ghost, right? But apparently they weren't aware of what was going on. They oblivious to everything else. I could see how this could happen. 
So they asked Pilate to hasten their deaths by ordering that their legs be broken, then their bodies could be taken down. Verse 32, so the soldiers came and broke the legs of the two men crucified with Jesus. But when they came to Jesus, they saw that he was already dead, so they didn't break his legs. One of the soldiers, however, pierced his side with a spear, and immediately blood and water flowed out. This report is from an eyewitness giving an accurate account. He speaks the truth so that you also may continue to believe. Verse 36, these things happen, happened in fulfillment of the scriptures that say not one of his bones will be broken. And they will look on the one they pierced. It is finished in the Greek is the word tetelestai, which he probably shouted with a cry of victory. It wasn't just like some whimper or whisper like, it's, it's finished. It wasn't, it wasn't that. It was literally like, I don't know about you who have had a great task ahead of you. Have you ever had a great, like for instance, sometimes, sometimes the workout, especially like there's, there's nothing like a timed workout, right? Where you got a timer that you're working out to. And the greatest thing that you hear is activity completed, right? That's, that's, the, that's the greatest sound, especially when you got one that's just really whipping your behind. And here it is, Jesus, at the end of the fulfillment of his mission. It is finished. Done. Gave up the ghost as a victory cry. The verb to leo denotes the completion of a task. Jesus was not just announcing that he was about to die. He was also declaring that he had fulfilled God's will for him. The use of the perfect tense here signifies that Jesus had finished his work of providing redemption completely and that it is presently, it presently stands completely finished. Nothing more needed or needs to be done. This finished work of Jesus Christ is the basis for our salvation. Just like papyri or papyrus, the paper that's made out of papyrus that they had back then, receipts for taxes have been recovered with the word tetelestai written across them, meaning paid in full. That's what he was declaring. Paid in full. Having thus spoken, Jesus handed over his spirit to his father and bowed his head in peaceful death. Normally, victims of crucifixion experienced the gradual ebbing away of life, and then their heads would slump forward. All the evangelists presented Jesus as laying down his life of his own accord. No one took it from him. He did this in harmony with his father's will. Are you following this? This isn't just John's account. This is Matthew's account. This is Mark's account. This is Luke's account. And as scripture tells us that let it be established by two or three witnesses. And we have four accounts of this whole encounter. And they all have a harmonious ending of what the death of Jesus was. That he declared that it is finished. 
that he declared that it is paid in full, that there needs to be nothing else added. There's nothing else left to do. Amen? Let's finish this off. Verse 38, afterwards, Joseph of Arimathea, who had been a secret disciple of Jesus, hmm, because he feared the Jewish leaders, Joseph asked Pilate for permission to take down Jesus' body. When Pilate gave permission, Joseph came and took the body away. With him came Nicodemus, the man who had came to Jesus at night. Y'all remember that? Chapter 3? He brought about 75 pounds of perfumed ointment made from myrrh and aloes. Following Jewish burial custom, they wrapped Jesus' body with the spices in long sheets of linen cloth. The place of the crucifixion was near a garden where there was a new tomb never used before. And so because it was the day of preparation for the Jewish Passover, and since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. Amen. Look, we got we to gotta address a couple of things real quick in what we just read. We have Joseph of Arimathea. It's the first time we really even hear about this cat. He was a secret disciple. I don't know if there's such a thing, but he was a secret disciple of Jesus because he feared what the Jewish leaders thought. So I'm assuming that he was in their group. He ran with them. But yet he heard the truth and recognized it and followed it from afar. Hmm. Then we got another cat that's similar to him. Because you, you could say that, that, that Nicodemus was probably a secret disciple as well because he came to Jesus at night when nobody could see him. And here it is, you see these two men come to take Jesus' body. What we need to understand is that crucifixion, as, we, as we, we've, we've gone over, in the Roman culture was a criminal's death. It was a criminal's death. So therefore, if you died by crucifixion, you lost all of your burial rights to your family. Your family, your family could not bury you honorably. So you went to a criminal cemetery. As we read in Isaiah 50, 53, it talked about how he was numbered with the transgressors. Fulfillment of prophecy. But he lay with the rich in death. And here it is, like, the tomb had never been used. I don't know about any of you guys, but I mean, you got to have, you gotta, you, you're, you're pretty well off if you already have a plot picked out. Right, you because because it costs dough for that. Like you ain't just like you ain't just gonna like just find some spot and just like okay yeah this is this is it no it caught there's like it's a it's a it's a money in a stat socioeconomic status situation, and so he, here it is Joseph of Arimathea who who is referred to as one of the religious leaders but not only that but he had status in the Jewish community, he was a well off guy. And you have Nicodemus who brings 75 pounds of myrrh and aloe. I don't know how much that costs, but it's a lot. What we have to understand here 
in this whole process is to allow someone to remain overnight on Passover Sabbath would be especially inappropriate. We kind of we touched on that. Why? Because anyone who hangs on a tree is a curse. They didn't want, they didn't want the, the, the occasion to be cursed. And so in Jewish tradition, they're still honoring Christ. And here we're seeing like the birth of Christianity. Okay. Normally, the Romans left victims of crucifixion hanging until they died, which sometimes took several days. Then they would leave their corpses on the crosses until the birds had picked at the flesh. If they had to hasten their deaths, they some, they, uh, deaths for some reason, they would smash their legs with an iron mallet. This prevented the victims from using their legs to push themselves up to keep their chest cavities open, blah, blah, blah. Death by asphyxiation, loss of blood, and shock would soon follow. Joseph is doing something courageous at this point. Joseph, who, is, who has been a secret disciple up to this point, now has been compelled by the death of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ to find the courage to say, I'm not going to allow him to be buried as a criminal. Joseph's courage Joseph's courageous act doubtless alienated him from many of his fellow Sanhedrin members. We don't know what the ultimate consequences of his actions were, but evidently it was Jesus' death that made him face up to his responsibility to take his stand for Jesus. And ain't that the so, isn't that so with us, any of us who profess to really be Christians? Like, we, we, we're not going, we're, we're going to, throw caution to the wind and we're going to throw away our status, our prestige and everything when we really come to an understanding of the death of Jesus. Just like Joseph did. Like you might, you might be following from, you might've been following from afar off or you like a little bit extra silent when you're around some of those friends that you hang out with and you're not as vocal about what your beliefs are and where you stand. But when you come to a knowledge of what the cross is, when you come to a knowledge and an understanding of what Jesus went through and that he died not just for you, but because of you and instead of you, like Joseph, you'll find the courage to stand for Jesus. Nicodemus also played a part in burying Jesus. He was also probably a member of the Sanhedrin, and he too was now taking a more visible position as a disciple of Jesus. Nicodemus brought what they said, 70 pounds of spices with which to prepare Jesus's body for burial. This was a large quantity and reflected Nicodemus's great respect for Jesus. I don't know if you guys are familiar with the nativity story, but those are what the Magi brought to the baby Jesus, which was also a prophecy. He had it at his birth. And now it's at his death. Evidently, these two guys were wealthy rulers and they decided to honor Jesus together. Again, when you have an understanding of the cross, can I, I know this is not a generosity message, but I just want to tell you something that when you come to a knowledge of who Jesus is, what he's done for you and what his death, burial and resurrection is all about, you will utilize your time your talents, your resources, your status to further his cause. 
So these two men were obviously wealthy. They were rulers, and they decided to honor Jesus together. They apparently divided their responsibilities with Joseph securing Pilate's permission and Nicodemus preparing the spices. And I want to close with this. This is what I want us to understand and take away from this. The fall of the first Adam took place in a garden. And we see that Jesus was buried in a tomb in a garden. near Golgotha. And it was in a garden that the second Adam redeemed mankind from the consequences of the first Adam's transgressions. To Telestai, paid in full, it is finished. Amen? Give God some praise if you got something out of tonight's study. Yeah, yeah. God is so good. God is faithful. God is faithful. So glad that God provided a way. He provided a way. He made a way for us to be in relationship with him. And that was through this encounter that we just read. The death of Jesus Christ. Not that his life was taken from him, but he laid it down for us in obedience and he just didn't, get, the, the crazy thing to wrap our mind around is the fact that as he's on the cross, it's like, it'd be, it'd have been enough for him to just get on the cross and just die. But he's actively working on the cross, making sure all manner of affairs are taken care of. Even his mom, even the thief that believed on him, even the crowd, like I, like I said, John didn't go into deep detail of the whole experience, but even the crowd, when Jesus is asking the Father to forgive them for they know not what they do. Thank you, Jesus. Can we stand to our feet? Hallelujah. Before I pray us out real quick, I just want to uh, take care of just like a few house things. I know we got a couple of events coming up. Uh, ladies got the Bibles, Beauties, and Brunch. Right? What date is that? May 22nd. May 22nd. Ladies, make sure you go on the app. Uh, go ahead and register for that $25 small fee. Make sure you take care of that and handle that. Don't wait till the last minute. All right? Do it now. Do it now. Told you how. Do it now. Word to Ray Charles. All right? Um, Thursday night, Elevate YM in the building. Again, if we have to keep telling y'all, the doors of the church are open, right? Make sure you come down here. We want to see you facing the place. This Friday night, Forward First Friday, Forward uh, Young Adults, we want to see you here in the place, 7 p.m. Don't matter if you're a little bit late. I know y'all got jobs and stuff, but make sure you come here and fellowship and hang out. We want to see you here. Amen? Let's go ahead and pray. Hallelujah. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, Lord. We thank you for your faithfulness. Lord, we thank you that you have, you have worked out every detail of our lives. And though we might not be privy to know all of the details, Lord, we resolve to trust you because we know that your plan is perfect, your way is perfect, Lord, that you only want the best for us. 
Lord, you said that those of us who are earthly fathers and mothers, that, that we, 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 we want the best for our children. How much more do you want to give us the kingdom? Lord, we thank you that your desire for us is to walk in unbroken fellowship and relationship with you. And Lord, I pray that as we walk closer to you, Lord, that we would bond closer together as brothers and sisters in Christ, Lord, that we would be like Jesus's prayer was, that we would be one as you and he are one. And we know that it can only be done by your spirit. So Holy Spirit, have your way. Continue to knit us together. Continue to make us one body, that we would march as one man, that we would be an army that would go out and fight against the, 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 the wicked works of darkness, and that we would shine your light, Lord, that we would be the city that is set on a hill whose light cannot be hidden, Lord, that we would make your name great in the earth, Father, that we would uh, uh, find the courage of Joseph and Nicodemus, Lord, and that we would have a revelation and an understanding of the cross, that we would be able to declare that we are redeemed, that we've, our, our debt has been paid in full and that it is finished, snatching others out of the pits of hell, Father, and encouraging one another as we see the day approaching, Lord, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. Lord, we thank you for allowing us to be able to come to this place. We thank you for what you're doing in our lives. And Lord, we say yes to your way and to your will. We thank you for bestowing grace upon us, Lord, multiplying grace. And Lord, I pray that every person under the sound of my voice, whether in the building or on, online, Lord, I ask that you would multiply their peace, Lord, that you would bless them with peaceful rest and sweet sleep tonight and camp your angels around them to protect and minister to them, Lord. Place a hedge of protection around all of us. Lord, help us to go conquer our week. We thank you. We love you. And we ask this in the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. 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 You guys go with God. See you guys Sunday.